Don't bail in our $190 million, says Aussie Council. And Aspie War Machine caught lying, as usual. Coming up on this week's episode of The Citizen's Report. Welcome to The Citizen's Report. It's the 5th of April 2023. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined today by Citizens Party founder and leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's show, we're going to talk about bail-in because there's a pushback um, starting in Australia because we have this sort of Damocles of a potential bail-in threat hanging over our heads, which the government doesn't like to talk about, but we're going to talk about it. Yep. Um, and it, And it's especially topical whenever there's a banking crisis, which is on now. And we're going to talk... Craig, about how people just have to understand that when it comes to China, the China haters funded by the United States actually deliberately sit down and make up lies. They make them up. We're going to show you um, a big story, a big scandal that's erupted around Aspie, an organisation that should be shut down and run out of this country. Um, Before we begin, just remember um, to help us, you know, Harness the algorithm, the Google algorithm, the YouTube algorithm. Like the show, share the show, subscribe. And if you, and when you do subscribe, click make sure you click the bell um, uh, icon. Though I must say, I've clicked the bell icon. I don't get many, I don't get any dings anymore. I don't know what, what Google's up to. Yeah. Um, and also, um, we're not commentators. We're activists. We're fighters. We're a political party that talks about what we're doing to change the system, not just telling you, you know, what you can do with your money or whatever. That, that's, a big, that, that's a big campaign. We need all the support we can get. So um, if you can, please help us out with a donation. Click on the donate button um, down below. And, yeah, Robbie, just uh, like I always like to thank the people who have already donated yep. because it is a big help to us to, to, to put these messages out. It's not cheap to do to run an organisation. And every small, every large donation is, is a great uh, great help to what we do. So please, if you can, continue to donate and keep uh, keep funding what we have to say. We are the only alternative voice out there in many respects, and we're the only ones that are running serious campaigns for against bail-in, which yep. we've been doing since 2013. Um, and, you know, these sorts of serious campaigns are funded literally by ordinary people. Yep. Tens of thousands of ordinary people fund us uh, every year, and we just need... We're, we are the process. most democratically funded political party in Australia, Craig. We don't get money from the government. We don't get money from uh, trade unions. We don't get money from big corporations. It only comes from everyday people. That's right. But even though we get more donations from more everyday Australians than any, any other party, we use them. We need them, right, um, because we don't have those other big funding sources. So, That's right. Um, anyway, like you said, it's all very much appreciated. All right. Let's move on. Just a quick update before we get into the main part of the show. Um, the last show we did, Elisa and I announced that that day was on Friday last week, the 31st of March. That was the deadline for the submissions for the Regional Banking Closures Inquiry. Well, that deadline's been extended. It's now the 28th of April, and it's been extended due to high demand. The committee was getting all these requests and getting flooded with submissions, as there was, as when I looked yesterday, there was 190 submissions published already. This is getting a lot of engagement, so the, commu- the committee has extended it by a month. So please, as I've said for the last month, help us spread that by word of mouth. 
we want every possible person who has a connection to this issue to make a submission. So that's a great opportunity. And on the ASIC inquiry that we keep talking about, um, the opposite is happening. The, that committee, the Senate Economics Committee, is eking out the submissions in a painfully slow way. I, I'm in regular touch with uh, uh, John Adams, the independent economist who got the inquiry up. Um, we support him in doing that. Uh, he's going out of his brain, <laughs> going off his brain at how slow this is. Um, and it's not good enough because what we're talking about with this issue with ASIC is getting to the heart of how the financial system of Australia has been rigged in favour of the, the, the powerful, right, against the interests of ordinary people. So, um, as we've said before, if you made a submission to that, call them up and demand to know where your submission is, why it hasn't been published yet, what's the hold-up, this is not good enough. I've been telling you for the last few weeks to be polite when you call the committee. Um, I'm not going to say that this time. I'm not telling you to be impolite, but it's less important to be polite. You tell them you want to know where your submission is. So, that said, let's get into the main part of the show. Don't bail in our $190 million, says Aussie Council. And Craig, as we mentioned a second ago, bail-in has lawfully raised its head again. Why? Because there's banks crashing. Yeah. And um, the banks that have collapsed, the four American ones and the um, Banks or three American ones and Credit Suisse, mm. uh, in, in, and Credit Suisse, of course, is the big one. Um, this is the biggest banking crisis, actual crisis that has claimed banks since 2008. Yeah. And what did the authorities do after 2008 to keep the financial system stable for the future? What did they invent? Bail-in. Bail-in. Which, of course, was denied and denied and denied until we found a clause... Uh, in mm. legislation or in discussions about the fact that legislation was in train for bail-in in Australia. Of course, everyone denied it. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Then we finally discovered on the Valentine's Day 2018 20, 20, yep. that there was legislation there for bail-in, which was hidden away, and it referred to a little tiny few, few sentences of words going, any other instrument. Right, that, that those those few words, any other instrument is the back door you could drive a truck through to bring bail-in in. Yeah. And there's been a historical fight, you know, with uh, Senator Malcolm Roberts has uh, introduced legislation to try and have that those words thrown out to protect people's deposits, but that hasn't happened yet. So it's all rising its head again. It's coming so, back to and it, and, it's, keep and keep what on. we're going to report on today is that one of the major regional councils in Australia not a small one, a large one, is the city of Wagga. Yeah. And a councillor on the city of Wagga raised a motion on this in his council meeting on Monday night. We're going to play a clip of that in a minute. But his name is Councillor Richard Foley, and his concern is this. The city of Wagga has $190 million in the bank. And if that's the city of Wagga's bank account, just... Imagine that multiplied around Australia by all the councils in Australia. Now, that's a big one, so the amounts will vary. But they have to keep that money in, apparently, by law, Robbie. They can't just spend it. Well, that's it. As an aside, <laughs> that is his issue as well. Why they, they're required, these councils are required to put all this money in investments that he says we should be spending that on roads, sewerage, infrastructure for our town, right? They, mm. Like how he wants to do a public housing thing for their, for their city. Um, 
Why do we have to keep this money in the bank? Because you know what it's doing. If the money's in the bank, it's or if the it's banks. in the, if the investments, it's propping up the banks and it's propping up financial institutions yeah. and the stock market. Exactly. Right? But this is the way, we're still on this aside, it's a long one, but it's a relevant one. This is, a, this is the way that everything is being done. What is the Albanese government's solution to, to uh, the housing shortage? Don't spend $10 billion on housing. Put $10 billion in the stock market and then... The money that you earn from that every year, if you earn, say, $500 million, spend that on housing. Yeah. So what it actually does, subsidise the stock market, is it, right? The future oh, fund's I, the same thing. This is the, you know, think about what Chifley was trying to do back in the 50s and the 40s. He wanted all the local councils to put their money in the Commonwealth, Commonwealth Bank, a national bank, in order to be able to fund development and stuff. But now, of course, the private banks jacked up. Yep. And it's, I mean, the uh, the city of Wagga has 28 different bank accounts with this money in it. Yep. And if you understand bail-in, uh, the problem is that these this money is only ever guaranteed, so-called guaranteed, and I say so-called because it's yeah. not actually the reality, to 250000 which means out of that $190 million, only $7 million would be so quote unquote protected and it won't be even protected at that point. And if and that's in a, and that's either in a crash from a crash or a bail in and if it's a bail in, the way bail in would work is a bank would be in trouble and the and the um, the APRA would say, okay, the bank's the bank's in trouble because its assets have collapsed but lower than its liabilities. And on the balance sheet, assets and um, have to equal liabilities plus equity. And so if assets are lower, a bank is insolvent. So what they say is, well, let's reduce the liabilities to lower than the assets so the bank's solvent again on paper. And the number one liability for banks is deposits. So you give them, they call it give them a haircut. And that'll be across the board. That'll be for every charity's account, every individual's account, your little kid's accounts, and every institution's account. We'll get the same, they'll define a percentage that has to be written off or converted into shares, and that's what they'll do. And that's so, what happened in Cyprus in 2013. Well, and multiple started- times in... Italy we started camp- campaigning Spain. on this back then. So, um, Councillor Richard Foley put up this motion. Notice of motion seeking that the general manager write to the federal treasurer seeking a written assurance, let me put my specs on here, that nothing in the Banking Act 1959 or any other Commonwealth legislation extends powers to APRA to implement or authorise or direct the implementation of bail-in in respect of this council's deposit accounts held in banks on behalf of its, rates, of its rate payers. So what I want to do now is we're going to play the video and there's two segments of this video. What I've done is cut out the middle. So we're going to play Councillor Foley's speech to, this, to the council meeting and then we'll cut out all the back and forth with the negotiating over the, the adjustment to the wording and amendments, etc. And then his final comments before they take the vote and then you'll see the results of the vote. Play the clip. Uh, the former Morrison government rushed through Parliament in the dead of night the Financial Sector Legislation Amendment, Crisis Re- Resolution Powers and Others Act on the 14th of February 2018. This legislation is commonly known as Australia's bail-in laws. Post the 2009 GFC, Australia endorsed international regulations handed down by authorities from the Bank for International Settlements. These were handed down across all G20 banking authorities, granting power to write down or convert into equity unsecured creditors, which uh, by definition includes depositors in banks. Due to these banking mandates, all G20 nations, of which Australia is closest to, now have bail-in laws. 
the powers that apply to deposits. Uh, this power applies to deposits, which includes USA, UK, UU, Canada, and most significantly New Zealand. The Australian bail-in law now empowers our banking regulator, APRA, to operate an order in a bail-in in certain Tier 2 and Tier 2, Tier 2 and Tier 1 capital securities. When one looks at the Banking Act 1959, specifically Section 11CAA, under definitions of conversion and right of provisions relating to additional Tier 1 and Tier 2 capital securities, there is another area that says or and or any other instrument. Legal analysis asserts that this broad language creates a loophole that could extend to bail-in for any deposits held in banks within Australia. It certainly applies in the other jurisdictions across the world. The key issue at here at hand is the words in the legislation or any other instrument. As a councillor, I argue that a, the bank deposits could indeed be defined as part of any other instrument under this vague terminology of the law, which came from the former government. The former government contended that these words did not extend to deposits and just left uh, that as a uh, as a comment. Uh, frankly, uh, I, I think uh, that we, sh we can't uh, trust just simple verbal comments from governments. We need to see uh, clarification. We now have an international banking crisis underway. Three large US banks have recently collapsed in recent weeks. The 127-year-old Swiss banking giant Credit Suisse was recently bailed out by its rival and with the assistance of the Swiss government. Recent media has cited that some nearly 200 or more US banks may also be vulnerable to collapse. This should ring alarm bells for Australians and also local councils. Local councils lost quite a lot of money in the last GFC. Our politicians respond to concerned citizens who are inquiring about this law by sending informed letters written by party hacks, which all has the same thing to say. Don't worry, you're protected by the financial claims scheme, which guarantees deposits up to $250,000 per person per bank that was brought in by the Rudd government. The problem is now that, that that guarantee has not been adjusted to inflation. It is now offering uh, only 34% less protection than when it was legislated. Secondly, the guarantee is not funded at all by any government. Thirdly, the scheme only covers seven, $0.07 cents in the dollar of all Australian current bank deposits, including councils. Finally, if a bailing was, was something that was to occur, it could only occur before the bank was collapsed. Not if a bank has already collapsed, then a bailing was obviously useless. As councillors, uh, we stand in a fiduciary relationship to the people whom we've been elected to serve. As fiduciaries and trustees of the public interest, we are under an obligation to serve the public to the highest of fidelity. On that basis, I put it to this council that it is not unreasonable for us to seek clarity from the new federal government about these issues raised in this notice of motion bearing in mind that we hold fiduciary responsibility for over $196 million of ratepayers funds currently held in 28 banks. Um, look, just a couple of points uh, picking up on... on yeah, it's interesting. I've got some interesting notes here. That the former um, senior advisor to, um, in economics to uh, John Howard is in, and is a senior official of the Australian Banking Association, Mr Nick Hossack, advocated clarifying this law but said that it should be clarified to ensure that deposits could be bailed in. And he said that in the, in the AB, on the ABC uh, about 18 months ago. And the former Liberal leader, Dr John Hewson, uh, also passed public comment there clarifying that the, that the law was, was a no-brainer to, to fix. 
and uh, that it is vague. So th- this is a, an issue, and, and um, I note that the, the, the former government didn't want to do anything about the amendments that were put forward by senators about this, uh, and I'd hope that the, the new government, which seems to be off to a, a cracking start, um, can see the problem here and, and assist uh, all Australians, including all councils. Thank you very much. Thanks, Councillor Foley. I'll put that motion all in favour. Unanimous. Thank you. So, Craig, um, Richard, Councillor Foley, has has, uh, mastered the subject really well, and the other councillors were clearly impressed because that was a unanimous vote. And it's going to go to the Australian Local Government Association meeting coming up in, I think it's June. And this is really important because every other council has, has now got the lead of this council to say, well, this is so important. So you can have a whole local government body going to the Treasurer and saying, get rid of those words, and protect frankly, our deposits. And frankly, that kind of pressure from the third tier of government is going to be much more effective on the government than, you know, the, the voice of the people should yeah. be effective. But those, the third, the local government is closest to the people anyway. Um, the, this, is, this is very, very useful because this has, this has to be uh, clarified that was all. We, that's all Malcolm Roberts was trying to do in 2020 was yeah. clarify the law. He said to the government, "You say you, that this can't be used to bail in, but these words, any other instrument, create a loophole. Let's close up that loophole by don't. We don't even have to take out the words. What we just say is any other instrument not including deposits. Mm. That's all he wanted to do, right? And the, and the government wouldn't let that um, pass. Which is ironic because if it wasn't going to cause a problem, why not have those words in there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it just—it was just clarification, but the government yep. didn't even want clarification, which means you can smell a rat there. Because suspiciously, all of it, all the countries closest to us—New Zealand, the United Kingdom, United States, Japan, European Union—all have actually bail-in. legislated bail-in yeah. laws, right? And in New Zealand, they apply to the, to deposits in banks that are owned by our banks, <laughs> and our government's saying, "No, we'd never do that." Yeah, rubbish. All right. So, um, because it's topical, though, Senator Roberts also raised this in Parliament um, a week or so ago, and we just want to play the clip of him giving a, a two-minute statement on the bail-in danger and reminding people about it in the context of this banking crisis. I note that in the last few weeks, we have seen with the failure of Silvergate and Silicon Valley banks. Nonetheless, it would be wrong to not take this opportunity to revisit the issue of how to save a failing bank. As a reminder, there are two choices bailing out with a large injection of taxpayer money, increasing debt for everyone. Or two, bailing in, which is where the bank takes their depositors' money to save themselves. A bail-in still requires the bank to close for days or weeks, preventing customers accessing any money left in their accounts. Business will be left without without money to pay staff or suppliers. The effect on the economy will be catastrophic. Everyday Australians trying to pay for their shopping will find their account empty or card suspended. Travellers may be stranded. One Nation introduced a bill to prevent bank bail-ins and protect the people. Labor and the Liberal Nationals defeated our bill in 2020. One Nation did lead a successful campaign against the cash ban bill that the Liberal Nationals and Labor proposed in 2021, so Australians can still use cash in an emergency. This is relevant, again, because President Biden initially chose to seize half of Silicon Valley Bank depositors' funds and freeze the rest for up to three years. That's a bail-in. What followed was a run on all banks, forcing the President to backflip and instead initiate a bailout. Australia has a bank guarantee scheme, a bailout, but it's a contract. There's no funding, no requirement to use it. It only covers $20 billion per bank, $80 billion total, 
and this is supposed to protect $1 trillion in depositors' funds, 8%. So, um, and I can, I can announce on the show now, Craig, that Senator Roberts is looking for an opportunity to, um, especially around the government's budget bills, to input his, table his amendment again, mm. and, like, approach it with, from the standpoint, okay, we've got a new government now, it was the Morrison government that didn't want it clarified. Let's see if the um, Albanese Jim Chalmers government would be happy to clarify it. And if they do, here's the thing, that would actually help restore confidence in the banks. Um, but let's talk about a related subject, which is, which is um, what people need to understand to really see actually how, how bad bail-in was, Craig. Because instead of, instead of devising bail-in to stabilise the system after 2008... The alternative was Glass-Steagall. Yeah, that's right. What would Glass-Steagall have done? Well, Glass-Steagall is a term that some of our viewers may not, uh, you know, have heard before or they don't understand. Glass-Steagall was a was a banking amendment or banking bill put into the U.S. Parliament, uh, U.S. Uh, government system, Congress, in Congress in nineteen in the nineteen thirties by Senators Glass and Senator Steagall. And what it did was separate out the merchant and investment banking system from the necessary commercial banking system. We need a commercial banking system, just ordinary, boring banking system. Whereas the merchant banking, investment banking, that's your highly speculative aspect of the banking system. Not that it can't exist, but the problem is that with the repeal of Glass-Steagall in 1999 by Bill Clinton, it allowed the investment bankers and the merchant bankers to get their hands on ordinary people's deposits. Other people's money. Other people's money and speculate with them. And what we've seen since 1999 is a complete deregulation of the financial markets and the the banking system so that people's deposits now are at risk, whereas they should never have been at risk. right? And this is what Glass-Steagall, reintroducing these Glass-Steagall principles where you say no, you can go off and you know, have your merchant banking, investment banking, but you use your own money. Yeah. And there's many investment bankers and merchant bankers that understand that. If, that, if they're going to get involved in those sorts of risky activities, they, they know what they're getting into. But the, the, the breakdown of the, um, the separation between those two sorts of banking, we need a very stable banking system mm. that's there to produce the credit necessary for the economy, not for speculation. And that's where the, the, the whole system is, is, is developed into one big giant global casino with quadrillions of dollars of derivatives, which are fictitious instruments in the sense of that they're just made up out of nothing. They have no reality, no connection to physical production. And Craig, they're only that bizarre because the people who invented them are gambling with other people's money. That's right. If they, are, if they were forced to gamble with only their own money, they would never have invented that crap. No. That's why Glass-Steagall was so good, so effective. It was the, it was the win-win For financial regulation. Years. 66 years. 66 years. It was perfect. It, it made, the, it made the, the speculators more cautious, and that was better for the economy, and it made sure all the deposits stayed in the real economy for productive purposes. Now, we're going to say something positive, though, about one of the people, the architects of destroying it. <laughs> um, this week, Lord Nigel Lawson... Margaret Thatcher's Chancellor of the Exchequer passed away. And ordinarily, this show would never um, say anything positive about Margaret Thatcher's Chancellor of the Exchequer, except for this reason. Lord Lawson Craig is the mother, sorry, the mother, Mother, the father of Nigella Lawson, the the television chef, right? Um, So most most people would think he's more famous for that. But he was actually Thatcher's Chancellor of the Exchequer. 
And he was the architect of what's called the Big Bang, financial deregulation of the City of London in 1985. And that's what started the rot worldwide. Because it, it, the City of London was already the world's biggest financial centre because the, it's this, it's this um, uh, lawless enclave, right, that's not even under the authority of the British Parliament, most, mostly. Um, so it was already that. And he just, any rules that were left, they just smashed them, right? And all it became the centre of the world's derivatives trading and whatever. Um, and then that, because the Brits did that, the people in the American, in, in Wall Street, who wanted to have this total liberation as well, they said, oh, they said to their congressman, oh, you've got to let us get rid of Glass-Steagall so we can be like the Brits. And mm-hmm. so that, that, that led to that in 1999. Um, when the crash happened in 2008, because it didn't take, it took less than a decade after the repeal of Glass-Steagall to literally blow up the world, a handful of people were man enough to say, I was wrong. And Lord Lawson was one of them. And he actually became the biggest champion of restoring Glass-Steagall in the United Kingdom. Um, and so that fact, you've got to take your hat off to him for being prepared to do mm-hmm. that. So from, from about 2011, 2012, Lord Lawson, a bunch of other people in the UK, people in, also people in the United States did it, like Sandy Wheel, who was the head of Citibank, who was actually credited with smashing Glass-Steagall in, in um, the United States. He also said it. A handful of people like them said it, and so you've you got to take your hat off to them for doing that. It helped, it, it helped um, advance the campaign to restore Glass-Steagall, which didn't work because the authorities went with bail-in instead. And, of course, the real evil of bail-in is, is when you see the alternative was Glass-Steagall, but they went with bail-in so they didn't have to force the banks to change their behaviour. The banks were told, you can keep gambling with other people's money. Go your hardest because we're going to steal from your depositors when you destroy them. When you destroy the bank, we're just going to steal from your depositors. That's what bail-in is, and Lord Lawson and these guys represented the opposite. So um, he's passed away now. Um, that's sad news, but it, it's worth mentioning here just by just as, to illustrate the debate that's happened. And we need to keep having that debate and bring Glass-Steagall back. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on. Something very serious. Aspie war machine caught lying as usual. Um, and... This is, this is actually quite dramatic, Craig, because it doesn't often happen. On the 31st of March, Crikey, the Australian news, online news website, posted this announcement. We'll put it on the screen, but I'll read it out. Quote, We have made the decision to unpublish a series titled China's Queer Purge by a freelancer after experts quoted in the series contacted Crikey with concerns they had been quoted on the record without their consent or their quotes had been mischaracterised or taken out of context. As a result, our confidence in the series has been undermined and we've taken the unusual step of unpublishing it. Now, that is a very rare statement for a... Crikey's now effectively a mainstream media publication um, by by comparison to social media anyway, um, that's a very rare statement to make that, right? So this is, a, this is a big deal. What are they talking about? They're talking about a story that they published on the 13th of March. And this was, a, this was sensational. The headline was this. Inside China's LGBTQIA plus re-education camps, survivors claim shock treatment and beatings. That's the headline. <laughs> and this is how it opened. 
Members of China's LGBTQIA plus community claim they have been sent to government-sanctioned re-education camps. Some say they spent years in the camps and experienced forced conversion therapy, a controversial process of attempting to coerce queer people to become heterosexual. Survivors tell Crikey, conversion therapy was carried out in militarised camps. That's in quote marks. Where they claim they suffered forced electric shock treatment, beatings and other abuses. Some say they were kidnapped and brought to the camps. Others escaped, only to be shunned by their families to live in fear and solitude. Survivors provided testimonials to Crikey that when matched with satellite images and government websites, linked the camps to the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, end quote. So, so um, and it got worse from there. Mm. Now, so I'm a Crikey subscriber. I saw it straight away. Um, it was all over the internet straight away. And a whole bunch of us immediately saw this as a pile of rubbish. But let me just give you a bit more detail on it. The author is this freelance reporter named Tom Kennedy. And his sources for the story, this is what, these are the two sources he, start, he cited. Quote, Daria Impiombato, an analyst from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. And Daria's, Daria's contribution was linking the claims of the camps to the Chinese government. And Nathan Rusa from Aspie, who provided satellite images of the militarised camps. So, like I said, we knew it was rubbish, Craig, yeah. straight away. Um, because... And people who follow me on Twitter will see this, that, that um, there's, a, there's a growing community of people who are prepared to speak out um, about this kind of thing now. But that, like, there's a lot of Chinese people in Australia and in China who do participate um, on the internet, despite what you've been told. Um, and they were pointing out, well, hang on a minute, China, there's, there's no issue with LGBT, you know, the gay community in China. None whatsoever. There's gay bars everywhere, all over the place. Um, and, and then one of the details, which, you know, I didn't know because I'm not I'm not, I don't know anything about China um, in terms of this stuff. Um, the most popular star on Chinese television is a transgender woman, yeah. right? right? Yet this is supposedly, they round up all the, all the, um, the uh, LGBT community and, and, and uh, persecute them in camps. Um, so that all was strong evidence that this was a, a total beat-up story. Um, the other reason I knew it was beat-up, because of the author. Because I mm. want to go through a little bit of our history with this author, which we talked about last year, and you'll see why this is such a big deal now. Tom Kennedy, we know Tom Kennedy and we know Aspie. So Tom Kennedy defamed me, Robert Barwick, in a SBS article in August 2022. And the title of that article was Harassing, Targeting and Intimidating. Is Australia a safe place for critics of the Chinese government? And that article was about an Aspie person named Vicky Xu. And Vicky, is a, Vicky Xu is a Chinese dissident who works for Aspie now, which means she's funded by the United States State Department. But based in, I think she's actually over in Washington now, if I, if I, if, if I understand that right. Um, but this was, this was last year. And there was an event that I went along to last year. But this was, I want to read you the section from the article that's relevant here. Um, and see, look, this is Tom Kennedy writing this, just like he wrote those previous words I reported. Miss Xu, who says she's been followed since moving to Australia and speaking out on human rights, 
says groups of people supporting the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, are trying to scare activists out of speaking at events. Quick aside, can I just say, one of the tells now on whether someone's a China hater or not is whether they use the right name for the Chinese. It, to, 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 to keep saying CCP would be like calling the, the, the um, uh, Labor Party PLA, Party of Labor of Australia, mm-hmm. deliberately choosing the wrong acronym. The acronym is Communist Party of China, CPC. But they want this, they've, they've, they've so demonised this acronym, CCP, CCP, um, that, you know, they, they keep using that. Anyway, that's just as an aside. So uh, supposedly, according to Ms. Xu, the CCP are trying to scare activists out of speaking at events. Continue with the quote. It seems to me that their aim is to make institutions and universities fear such disruption and make them too scared to invite journalists, researchers, analysts like myself, she said. Because I was participating at the event, which I went to, Latrobe University had to hire security specifically for this event, which I didn't see. (laughs) I was there. And then she added this, especially in light of what's happened to Salman Rushdie. Now, she's talking about an event, and they're going to talk about me in a minute. And do you know what happened to Salman Rushdie? He was at a public event, and someone raced up and stabbed him. Yeah. Tried to kill him, right? This is me. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. So continuing with, with um, Tom Kennedy. Co-authors of Uyghurs for Sale and senior Aspie fellow James Leibold was chairing the event and had to call security to ask the man to leave. Aspie is a national security and defence think tank that receives funding from Australia's Defence Department, foreign governments, including the United States and military contractors. Quoting Mr. Leibold, quote, he became quite agitated and stood up and started to walk towards her in a pretty confronting way. And myself and Sophie McNeil from Human Rights Watch had to intervene, Mr. Leibold said. The man who Miss Shu claims harassed her is Robert Barwick from the Australian Citizens Party, end quote. Now, Tom Kennedy interviewed me before he published that story. And the interview was bizarre. But anyway, it was a long interview. We had a long discussion and I gave him my side of the events. But I gave him something more important. When I went to this event last year, and some of our regular viewers remember us talking about this at the time, I wasn't alone. I was with Richard Barden from our office and Richard Barden filmed the incident. And so we're going to play that film again so people can actually see what actually happened. Um... And remember what they describe. And I just want to preface a few things. They're saying that I, I um, what they say, I started to walk her, to her, towards her in a pretty confronting way. What you will hear, listen to the, to the tape. Listen to my question. It's, a, it's such a boring question, my wife was surprised I asked it. She thought I'd be more disruptive <laughs> than that. I just wanted to ask a specific question. I wasn't there to disrupt it. I, want, I was there to get Vicky Shu's answer. She turned it into something else. I only moved forward slightly because someone at the front told me to. They said, go to the front. And I moved out of my chair a few paces forward. Then I stopped. But also pay attention to James Leibold and Sophie McNeil, neither of whom, as I moved forward, did anything to protect Vicky Shu. Vicky Shu doesn't do anything. She's so far away. There's no way in a million years I'm a threat, I'm, that anyone in there thought I was a th- physical threat to anybody. And this journalist saw that before he wrote those words I just read to you. So play the tape. From the Citizens Party, I've got two questions for Vicky. 
Um, the first is on the effectiveness of your weekly to salary report. Can you identify manufacturing companies that have stopped using weaker labour because of your report? Uh, first of all, I would like to point out that um, uh, last year during one of my trips to Melbourne to record um, Q&A, I uh, ran into Robert at the airport um, and uh, I, in my opinion, I was ambushed um, and he misrepresented um, our exchange on Twitter, um, and he accused me of uh, wanting war with China. So uh, I do not consider Robert to be here in good faith, and I refuse to answer his questions. I'll oh, give me a break. <laughs> I did not read the tweet. Read, excuse me. Read the tweet. I did not accuse you of that. I, I reported. I said I don't want war with China. I just reported quoted you saying I'm at war with China. I did not quote you saying anything else. You can see the tweet okay, online. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's you ask. No, no, no. I asked the question. I'd like an answer. Instead, I got that's the answer. Sorry, sorry. Please, this is sensitive. Please, please, please. You speak. It is sensitive. For those who are interested, I've brought along ten copies of Jacqueline James legal analysis of the Weekly report. And if you're interested. She debunks it completely and thoroughly. You're an apologist for genocide. Yeah. Yeah. And you're yeah. I am not an apologist for genocide. This is a joke. Raising the living standards of people is not... Down. Excuse me? Sit down. No, I'm not going to sit down. sit down. I've been attacked. Excuse me. Anyway, you had your moment. You had your moment and Jack had her moment on Monday in Canberra. And he's been hurting with that last week. Well, I'd like... No, no. We'd like a response. You 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 are troublemaking in international affairs. I'll point out that Everything. Robert, you have potentially stalked me before. And excuse. I'd like to ask you to leave, please. For we'll the record, for the record, I was at the taxi rank next to Vicky at Melbourne Airport. I didn't stalk her. I didn't follow her. I recognised her and I asked her a question. And I'm running to you again here today with ten. I have copies. come to ask you this question, Vicky. Yeah, well, we have other That's not stalking. This is a public event. And I refuse to answer your questions because I do not consider them to be a good faith. Please leave. And I do not enjoy it. Before I leave, would anyone like a copy of this report? Please leave. Come to me. I would like a copy of this report. Please read it. No. Pick it up what you want. It's all right. Don't be a drama queen. Oh, don't be a drama queen. There's... So, Craig, that's what they're com that scene you've just seen is what they're comparing to Salman Rushdie getting stabbed in the neck. Yeah, and this is what's happening all over the place with the media robbing. I mean, I, I don't listen to ABC driving into the work anymore in the mornings because everything that they talk about is so coloured and so distorted yep. because that's what they're there for. I mean, it's a propaganda operation. Well, it is. And, and on just about everything, whether it be Ukraine or, you know, Aspie, the Chinese government, everything. And most people don't have a place to stand until That's they... That's the problem. But, but, on, but, but we do a lot of research, and, and in this particular case, we've got them cold. Let me do, I just want to make a quick aside. The guy in front of me in that clip, the Chinese guy with the beard who's filming me, he's the one who said at the end, don't be a drama queen. Um, <laughs> that person is quite famous. His name is Badiou Chow. 
And he's a dissident who lives in Australia. He's an artist. He does these really horrible um, art things, pop art things attacking the Chinese government. <laughs> this is totally an aside, but I want to play a clip of him that same week on the project being interviewed by Waleed Ali. And they're talking about his security and how unsafe he feels. So just run that clip. Buddy Atau goes to elaborate lengths to keep his home address a secret. Are you safe here? I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't say so. Because this is the death threat in a digital form. But in reality, I also received harassment from being followed in the city to possible home invasion. What's your daily life like? I, I, I was talking to the producers before and even getting you here yeah. for this interview was, was quite an ordeal. Just have to be very careful. You know, I guess the biggest pain is, as a Chinese-Australian, that I sometimes will feel concerned to go to a place like Chinatown. Now, Craig, the reason I wanted to run that clip is because when we took... If you, he's right in front of me. He, was, he didn't seem security conscious at all. But, but more than that, when Richard and I turned up at the event, here he is waltzing. It's nighttime. He's waltzing down Collins Street in the dark, Bold as brass, not a care in the world, no, no special security, no, no nothing, no paranoia. Yet that week on, on the project, right, he and Waleed Ali made it look like he's furtively, you know, like in, in hiding um, for fear of his life. I mean, it's, this is a charade. It's an absolute charade. But, but um, we've got him cold. So, this is, so what we're talking about now is the author of this article who then wrote the Crikey article that has now been unpublished. And this is, this is very, very um, uh, important. So uh, what happened after the Crikey article went up, Craig? There was a huge hue and cry, hmm. right? Now, Crikey said they took it down because people quoted in the article contacted them. And that's true. Daria and probably Nathan Russo from Aspie contacted them and said, you better take this down. But that, but that was on the 31st of March. The article was written on the 13th of March. And the hue and cry went up straight away. That The attacks this article came under was just swamped it. Mm-hmm. And Daria and Nathan Rusa distanced themselves from the article. But they didn't do it straight away. Nathan Rusa took three days to distance himself from the article on Twitter. Daria took five days. I kid you not, they waited to see the response. Because what they're doing is this. This, this, is, my, this is my view. They have been running this Uyghur line, Uyghurs locked up in camps, the same template, right? And it's flown. Um, and so uh, they thought, well, let's expand this to the LGBT community, right? And when there was such, when it was swamped with such blowback, then they've tried to distance themselves. Um, and they've tried to wash their hands of their role in it, yeah. right? Um, I, got a, I got a quote here from... Uh, we, we might put up a, 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 a thing from Daria. Um, uh, just hang on a second. Yeah, four days ago, we'll put up this quote. Four days ago, Daria Impiambado tweeted that she was glad Crikey had unpublished the article. Um, but if you read the article, I'm struggling to think how Daria could have been taken out of context, right? What they're probably doing is hanging out Tom Kennedy to... to, to um, uh, uh, cutting him off, right, so they can protect Aspie's reputation. Because I think this Tom Kennedy is very, uh, 
I mean, he, I think he's a liar, but he's also very naive. When he interviewed me before this event last year about the Vicky Shue event, we, he asked me about the Uyghurs, and he referred to mass graves in Xinjiang. Mm -hmm. And I said, hang on, mate, hang on, hang on. Do you know, despite everything you've heard about genocide in Xinjiang, do you know nobody, nobody who has been talking about genocide in Xinjiang, nobody has alleged there's mass graves. That the genocide, they, they say it's a cultural genocide, that they're mowing people down, and, and nobody's saying that. I said, you've assumed that there's mass graves because you've heard the word genocide. That's your brain working. Nobody has actually said that. That's how naive you are about the way this disinformation works. Um, anyway, the good news is, Aspie is showing that ever since Paul Keating did that thing that you and I yeah, yeah. on last show attacked, yeah, yeah. Aspie, Paul Keating named Aspie and attacked them as an American cell and he named their director Justin Bassey as a cuckoo in the nest. <laughs> a cuckoo goes and steals, and he's talking about that in the Labor Party terms, Justin Bassey's a liberal who, who's in the Labor Party nest. So ever since Bassey has been putting out tweets like this, um, on the 17th of March he tweeted this, that he, in response to people assuming putting as, um, tying Aspie in with the red alert thing on the Sydney Morning Herald. Red alert, we're going to be attacked by China. He writes, the determination of a few people to drag Aspie into the Sydney Morning Herald age red alert series takes away from objective debate on substantive issues. Some are misleading the public that Aspie was involved. Once again, we were not. None who made this mistake actually bothered to ask. Rubbish. As the guy who ran Aspie for a decade at least before Justin Bassey took over was the main guy in that group and two others were either speakers at Aspie events and one was an Aspie fellow. So that's him, that's him being defensive though, that's the important point. On the 26th of March, he said this in response to Bob Carr. We'll put this tweet on the screen. He goes, absolutely false because Bob Carr said Aspie is a pro-war think tank. Aspie is not pro-war. Our analysts support Ukraine defending itself against Russia and argue for a strong defence force is needed to deter aggression and maintain peace, peace plus stability. This view, far from specific to Aspie, is espoused by governments, think tanks and security experts globally. Oh, we're not pro-war. Rubbish. When the war happens, Craig, and, and we all die and, and there's 200 years of you know, radiation fallout and then the credits on the history of humanity roll down the screen, the final thing will be say, we'll say, the line will be, this production was brought to you by the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Which is funded by the military-industrial industrial complex. complex. <laughs> so they've got an invested interest there. 28th of March. This was in response to me, because I pointed, Daria then, the same Daria did an attack on girls, Uyghur girls in Xinjiang who are on Twitter and TikTok and whatever, doing things about puppies, videos about puppies. She said, this is sinister propaganda. They're trying to make it look like Xinjiang's a nice place. But we, have, we know it's an evil hellscape, right? And I went right after her because this woman denied, publicly denied that, that China has had a terrorism problem yeah. when China had the worst terrorism problem in the noughties. The worst. Outside of Africa and the Middle East, no country suffered terrorism like China did. And she was, she was trying to deny that. So... Justin Bassey tweeted in response to me, a pathetic and pointless attack on the professionalism of a very smart and accomplished researcher who deals in facts and data. I'd like to ask this individual to stop his constant online bullying, especially of female Aspie staff. And that's trying to tie me back into <laughs> yeah, Vicky yeah. Shu. I'm proud of Daria Impiambata, who has a superb track record. Oh, really? Two days later, Crikey took down unpublished an article that, was, that quoted her. <laughs> superb track record, my butt. Um, and, then, and then he tried to distance himself from the TikTok decision. 
He goes, as a Five Eyes aligned think tank, Aspie has been agitating for an Australian ban on TikTok for several years. That was the quote that he was responding to. And he said, no, Fergus Ryan and Aspie have not agitated, but informed through hard work and data-driven analysis. Decisions are up to government. And this is a good one, not agitated. That's all they do is come up with these lies. Um, and I wanted to play this clip just to, just to ram it home because people, we're putting so much time into this so that people understand they actually make up lies. Mm. So on the 19th of March, Mary Kostakidis at, at an event at Marrickville, Marrickville Town Hall in Sydney interviewed Lawrence Wilkerson, who was Colin Powell's chief of staff. And I wanted to play this one clip because Wilkerson is just reminiscing about how the lies of weapons of mass destruction came about. And look at how... Because there was an argument, there was a debate, how real is this, etc. And look at how blatantly they fabricated. This, this is a really important story, he tells. And people also forget, particularly in my country, and I'm not making excuses here, but they forget that all the members of the United States Congress had accepted the October 2002 National Intelligence Estimate, which was pretty firm on weapons of mass destruction. Um, they all accepted it with one or two who let us know that they were doubtful about it. Of course, many of them became doubtful about it after they were proved no WMD, but that didn't do any good at that particular time. They all accepted that national intelligence estimate. And Powell's presentation at the United Nations was based principally and primarily on that NIE. Um, so it was a difficult time for us, a difficult time to sort things out. Powell tried, and I'll give you one concrete example. He grabbed me one day, the first time he'd ever done that. He physically grabbed me and pushed me into a room off the spaces where we were working, closed the door, and he said, uh, we're alone in here, right? And I said, well, it is the CIA, boss. And he didn't even smile. He just began to talk to me in a very strong way saying he wanted to pull all the business about torture, his phrase, out of his presentation. And what he meant was essentially the most powerful element for a domestic audience, the Saddam Hussein's connections with Al-Qaeda right after 9-11. Um, I said, good, let's do it. He looked rather surprised. I think he thought I was going to object. I didn't. I thought it stunk. I thought it was terrible stuff. It didn't have any concreteness to it. It was all circumstantial. So we took it all out. Well. George Tennant and John McLaughlin, the two primary intelligence people there, discovered we'd done that. And we went back into rehearsal that afternoon. And Tennant tells Powell, we've just learned, this is almost a direct quote. I was sitting to Powell's left. We've just learned from interrogation of a high-level Al-Qaeda operative of significant contacts between the Mukhabarat, the Iraqi secret police, and Al-Qaeda, to include training Al-Qaeda operatives in how to use chemical and biological weapons. Powell turned to me and said, LW, put it back in. And we put arguably the most powerful element, with a domestic audience at least, back into the presentation about Sodom's connections with Al-Qaeda. It was totally false. We later learned, four or five months later, that it was Sheikh al-Libi, that he was tortured in Egypt when he revealed this information, and that within weeks of the torture ceasing, he recanted and said he would have done anything to stop the torture. The DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, actually put a burn notice out on that intelligence, but we were not told that. So, Robbie, people are watching this and hearing you say, well, how can we believe anything that's coming from the media? Well, don't. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm hoping. 
Well, that's why our material is so important. We, we say, and I come back to the Australian Alert Service, Robbie. Mm. Yep. You know, we pub when we publish material or talk about it on this show, it's backed up by real data and real facts, and we don't have any other interests other than promoting the national sovereignty of nations around the country, including our own, <clears throat> as opposed to the you know, supporting, like ASPE does, the industrial, the industrial you know, uh, military complex and the militarism of the US government. You know, how many military bases does China, does the United States have around the world? Over 700. How many does China? Maybe three? Well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, people are hit with a blizzard of claims about China every day, right? Let me just go through. Balloons, cars, <laughs> security cameras, TikTok, cranes in ports, the, the cranes that unload shipping containers. All of them are now being told, politicians are telling us, taking serious, oh, they're spying on us. Cranes in ports are spying on us, right? It's all, every time you hear a claim like that, assume it's a lie until they prove it to you with absolute proof. Assume it's a lie. But um, what is the motivation? And, of course, you've nailed it. But I want to play, uh, there's a, there's a um, uh, Dr. Jay Therapple, mm -hmm. uh, who's on uh, Twitter as Jay Chaco. He... He produced this video, I want to play it now, which is of the American um, strategic analyst John Mearsheimer in 2019 visited Australia and gave a couple of speeches at the Centre for Independent Studies. And he is brutally honest at what America's motivation here. And in short, the motivation is this. America's going down, China's going up. America needs to pick a war with China now that it thinks it might have a chance of winning instead of waiting decades when it would never win. This goes yes. way back into the 70s, Robbie. Yep. NSS, you, uh, SSM uh, 200, I think it was. NSSM 200, That's yep. right. Um, well, know, it's Henry the same Kissinger. Henry Kissinger mindset, right? Yeah. Um, you know, America cannot allow the rise of any other country to rival its power in trade in any form whatsoever, yep. and it has to be subsequently destroyed. That's the mindset we're talking about here. So listen to... I hope we haven't gone on too long, but listen to... Um, uh, John Mearsheimer, the, 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 the clips that Jay's put together from these present presentations that he did in 2019. So why should Australia support America in a containment strategy against China? You understand, if you go with the Chinese, then you're our enemy, and we put our gun sights on you. You understand that, right? You're either with, this is, this is a zero-sum game. You're either with us or you're against us. What struck me about the Australians over time is how loyal they have been to the Americans, how they pretty much do anything the Americans ask them to do. I actually think the Australians have more leverage over, than the, over the United States than they realize because the United States needs Australia. So what are you saying? Because of all this economic prosperity, and I, I don't deny anything that Tom said, I fully understand that China has been very good to you and that you would love to perpetuate this situation ad infinitum. You'd be crazy not to. I understand that. But what I'm saying to you is those days are over. You have to choose. And if you choose to ally yourself with China against the United States and there's a bitter security competition, you're our enemy. You understand from an American perspective, I want to see the Chinese economy flatline, if not decline. We're trying to wreck the Chinese economy. We don't want them to continue growing. Are you going to continue to trade with China and feed the beast? Yes. So you're going to help feed the beast. You're going to 
trade with China and, and basically ignore us. I don't think the United States we, we is going to be happy about More questions. That. I think today that the United States would clobber the Chinese in most conflicts one can imagine, most plausible conflicts. It's over time, as China continues to grow economically, mm. that the balance shifts against the United States. For example, if you're China and you're interested in taking Taiwan back, you do not want to do it now with military force. You want to wait 20 or 30 years, okay? But what this tells you is that it's in America's interest to pick fights with China now. And Craig, the thing yeah. I want to say about, like, I'm sure the audience is finding that, you know, quite confronting, right? That is the brutal reality of the motivation of the American neocons laid out right there. That's 2019, though. What's happened since 2019 has played out exactly the way Mearsheimer was talking. Exactly. Yeah. We have, we are led by people who have bowed the knee to that agenda because they're incapable of standing up for the sovereign interests of the United States. They picked a side, and the side is not the country that all, all it wants to do is business with us. They picked the side of the country that will go to war, blow up the world in order to maintain its position. And unfortunately, Robbie, a lot of our elected representatives don't understand this geostrategic war. The difference between supporting the, the, the interests of ASPE, the military-industrial complex, right, which will lead us to war. And they don't. And yeah. they don't, but they don't understand the... Op, the, op, the and there's uh, a reason they don't understand it, though. I mean, if they were regular viewers of the Citizens Report, they'd understand it better. Yeah, but, but they, they're not. They choose not to. Do you know what they are? So we'll, we'll put this picture up. This is a photo that was um, published this week because of a, a, a transparency scandal. Those are 10 politicians, Australian politicians, who in January went to Washington for a week, fully funded by the United States State Department. The whole thing was funded by the US State Department, and they're there to basically be briefed on America's strategic intentions vis-a-vis -vis China, right? And the reason it became a story is because two of them, the two on the left, Luke Gosling and, and Helen Haynes, didn't disclose it in their register of pecuniary interest because it, you know, they didn't fund it, the State Department funded it. I'd like to know if they flew business class or, or um, uh, economy, frankly, for this, for this junket. But the Australian public didn't hear anything about that trip, Craig. No. Not, they're hearing about it now because of this because of this side issue. Contrast that to the to the huge hysteria over Dan Andrews going to China and the big flap about Dan Andrews. Oh, he didn't take any media, he didn't take any business people. Well, he's taken seven trips to China since he's been premier. Half of him he hasn't taken the media on. It wasn't an issue before. Now it's absolute hysteria. Yet that kind of trip paid for Dan Andrews. Victorians paid for Dan Andrews to go because he's doing business deals with China. And I'm not necessarily approving of everything he's, he's doing in, in the ways in terms of the specifics, but I insist that we just treat China like a normal country. This would not be an issue if it was any country other than China. They can do it. Did those, did those journalists take any media with them? No, no media even reported that it happened, either from a, either Australian media or media based in the United States. Didn't even report it happened. It is so normal that this is how there's a production line of politicians that go to the United States and pr probably the, the United Kingdom as well to get their point of view, and that's why they don't understand the strategic reality. Yep. Um, bought, bought and paid for is the term. Yeah. All right. Well, look, we've probably run out of time. We've probably run out. We've probably. I'm saying probably because we're 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 um the, we've got the clips that we're adding in here. Uh, so we might be over a minute, an hour, sorry. If we, we've probably broken the record. If we have, apologies. But it's a long weekend. 
uh, for Easter, so you got more time to watch it. Um, and uh, we, we, better, we better wrap it up there, Craig. Yeah, that was a really important material, Robbie. Yeah, all right. So thanks to the viewer for tuning in. Um, remember, extra month for the for the um, uh, regional banking closures inquiry. So put in your you know help spread the word to make submissions. Call call um, uh, the ASIC inquiry next week and ask where your where your uh, submission is. And uh, tune in at the end of next week for more of the Citizens Report. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.